Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Lindsay Monday to the Inside the Eight podcast. Lindsay is a head coach at the University of Southern California and really excited to have her on with me and Colleen McGarity. How are you doing, Lindsay? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. For sure. Pumped to have you, Linz. Um, I had Lindsay as a coach for two years, right? I think. Two years yeah. at Northwestern and uh, then coached against her a little bit when I was at, actually, I didn't even coach against you because you didn't start the program. But did I have one year at Colorado and USC? I think I we had one. I think we yeah. had one. One year against each other when you had Hilbo and Liss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Lindsay and I go way back. And I actually was just thinking about this coming on to this uh, podcast. I was like, I believe that you kind of invented the stick work routine. <laughs> like the, I do, yeah. I will say, I feel like Acacia actually, Acacia and I, yes, like came up with the name of the Twizzler. I think that I can, <laughs> I can confidently say that that I, I really think that that happened. I, I, I agree. I think you can patent that, that you and Acacia came up with it. I believe you guys kind of started the to stick work routine and now it's everywhere. Twi- yeah. Twizzler and Sizzler. I think Acacia Walker <laughs> yeah. and Lindsay Monday, we got to trademark that. <laughs> Well, I'll never forget one of my first practices just being like so nervous and we just did tricks for like 45 minutes of stick work and I was like this is <laughs> I was like petrified and it like really helped just you know calm your nerves down as a freshman being like all right this is great this is hard this is not what I expected but it was just so great just having you you know as a coach with Acacia and that stick work routine that I still do with my girls all the time and really kind of transformed stick work into my coaching game. So that's kind of my question to you is what do you do still with your USC girls that involve stick work? You're always so innovative in that way. And do you still do routines? Yeah, we do. We do sometimes. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, I think as a coach, you just, you know, constantly have to try to, you know, figure out new ways to, you know, kind of focus on the basics, right. And, and focus on the foundation and obviously stick works one of those ways. So, um, you know, we try to mix it up as, as best we can. We try to make it, you know, game-like, um, you know, as, as much as we can, but, you know, it was funny actually with, um, with our defenders the other, the other day, we actually did what we call the spanking machine, right? Like where you kind of set the defenders up in a zigzag and you're just kind of going through a tunnel with a lot of checks. So you're just trying to move your stick around. And Kelly actually commented on the Instagram, like blast from the past. And I was like, you know what? And I was kind of laughing, but I mean, that's all coaching is kind of, you know, you got to get, get back to the basics and sometimes the most, you know, the simplest things um, kind of provide the, the best results. So, you know, you just got to keep changing it up and, um, and doing your best to keep the kids engaged. But yeah, I mean, you know, sticker works, you know, is one of those foundation things where, you know, if you're not being successful there, you know, you're not going to be successful overall. Yeah, totally. I mean, I kind of say it to all my kids all the time, like catching and can't catch and throw, you can't do anything. So um, that's awesome. I love that she said blast from the past. 
some of those <laughs> stick protection drills are so simple, but just so, so important for them, you know, and you watch these past couple of um, games, the past couple of weekends. And I think it's, that's what's showing is fundamentals mm-hmm. are missing. You right. Know? Which, yeah, yeah, definitely. We need to, you know, kind of get back to that. I think, you know, I just talked to, you know, my coaching staff, you know, we just had a conversation about that because we, we lost, you know, 10 months of it. Um, and, and obviously as you get in a season, it's so easy to, you know, get bigger picture in terms of schemes and game plans and 77 and scout and preparing. But, you know, usually the fall is where we really hone in on, you know, a ton of that stuff. And, and for us at USC, we didn't have that opportunity. And so, you know, Tuesday's game for us was a great reminder, not that you want those all the time, you know, as a coach or as a player, but that, you know, we, we as coaches need to be better about that and, and our drills and our players need to lock into that, you know, even even more because we, we did lose so much time, you know, and, and we need to build back, you know, foundational things. So, uh, Lindsay, I got a question on that sort of topic of all this lost time. Uh, I've been really uh, into this whole concept lately of, of, of uh, playing in context um, as opposed to individual, you know, uh, isolated skill stuff. And I feel like what the kids lost most was the opportunity to play with and against other people because they're all hard workers, they're probably on the wall and mm-hmm. shooting and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about like just getting into actual, you use the word game-like, getting into game-like situations where there's actually somebody, you know, trying to take the ball away from you and trying to stop you and intercept your passes and all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a good point. And I, I really think that, you know, certainly COVID and, and being off for so long hits that point home. But I mean, I'm a big believer in general, even if it was a normal year, you know, as a coach, it's it's so important um, to put your players in drills where they have to, you know, make reads and, and make decisions and, and have it not be so structured of this is what we're supposed to do because, we all know as a coach, you know, if I'm working on the offense, like I can know a slide package and say, Hey, you know, they're sliding from the middle, but I can't tell you if the slide's going to be early or late or the second slide's going to be missed. You know, at the end of the day, like our players have to make decisions on the field. Players have to make plays. And so I think it's our job as coaches um, to, to formulate drills and, and, you know, practices and, and figure out ways to, put them in those situations. And I think honestly, a lot of players really struggle with that. You know, a lot of people want answers, you know, what should I do? You know, what is the answer when this happens? And sometimes it's like, you got to make a decision, you know, and I want you to tell me why you made that choice, you know, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, a wrong choice at the right speed and communicated well is usually fine. Um, You know, as opposed to not making the decision or being too scared. So, you know, I just think, you know, putting people in those situations to make decisions, whether, you know, certainly we need it more than ever because we've had so much time off, but, but I think in general, the more you can do that as a coach, you're really setting your players up for success. I love that. I, I, I totally agree. And I think that the word game, like sometimes, sometimes we, I was thinking about this word earlier today, the word game, like sometimes is, is thought of as creating a situation that's like a game, but really to me, game, like is where, you don't know what's going to happen. Games are not controllable. Practices and drills are. And to make things mm-hmm. like you said, 
um, eliminating some of the structure and putting the onus on the player to make the reads and the decisions is really what game like is kind of all about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I agree on that. I'm a big semantics person. So I think we're, you know, wording and, and, you know, um, how you choose your words are, you know, are important, but yeah, the game like thing is funny when you say like, let's make it game. Like, you know, now that you mentioned that, I'm kind of like, what does that even mean? Like, does that mean that we just play harder? Cause like you play hard in the game. I'm not sure. I never, I never really understood that term in terms of practice and setting things up quite frankly. Yeah. I really love though, that you said making the wrong decision at the right speed could actually be fine. And I say that to my, my girls all the time too. I'm like, I don't care what decision you make, just do it a hundred percent. So they always oh. are in this like indecisive land. You know what I mean? That, that fear that you're talking about. Yes. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, I think so many times players, right. They're, they're nervous. You don't want to make a decision, but it's so funny because when you are, when someone's confused, like it's bad, right. Like it's like the worst decision possible. Cause they're just like floating around and, and scared to, you know, make the wrong choice. But again, like saying, you know, even during a play, like a coach calls an offense and you're like, I, you know, to your teammate, I know what, what do I do? Like they'll tell you what to do and then you can work through it. But, you know, fear is a big one um, that that you just said that, you know, we try to talk about that, to be vulnerable with that a lot with our players because fear in terms of fear of failure, you know, whether it's individual fear or, or team, you know, um, fear of failure, I think is really, really huge to have conversations around because, you know, I'm just such a big believer that the mental game um, is, I mean, hugely, hugely important, more so than the physical. Um, or, you know, the physical is not going to matter if, if the mental game is not strong. And I think the fear that you mentioned, I think that's the biggest piece of it, honestly, that, that holds people back. So how, how do you um, approach the mental game with your athletes? I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so we've been um, committed to what we have, what we call culture meetings um, with our sports psychologists at USC. So for the past two years, we've had um, meetings once a week um, with our sports psychology, where we, you know, again, as we all know, culture really, you know, encompasses everything. It's it's who you are, it's how you act, it's you know, it's it's the the pulse of the team. So um, the mental, you know, side is, is that, you know, it's hugely important there. So we, we actually did a fear of failure meeting um, recently, a couple weeks ago, um, you know, where we talked about, you know, kind of the different types of fear of failure. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you want to be a perfectionist. So you're sort of had this unattainable goal. Sometimes there's like self-sabotage, like we talk, you know, kind of what Colleen, you just talked about a little bit, but like, you know, you, you sabotage yourself because you're too scared to actually put it all out there and, and see if you, you know, can do it or not. Um, you're scared to find that out. And so um, in terms of the mental game, we, we really kind of, you know, each week kind of figure out what topic we want to talk about um, and whether that's, you know, conflict resolution, you know, that's how to communicate with one another. It's, you know, it's a lot of being vulnerable. It's, you know, a lot of just connecting, honestly, um, you know, with your teammates more so that you can, you know, have the conversations, you know, we, we had a meeting with our attack, I think it was last year, um, where it was like, what holds you back? You know, like, let's be honest. And like, a lot of it was just people admitting, like, I'm, you know, I don't want to let my teammates down. And so when you say that out loud, your teammates can have your back and, and kind of pump you up 
and tell them, you know, you're not letting us down. So just, you know, we do, again, we, we meet with, with him once a week, but we weave that, you know, in terms of the themes we talk about in those meetings, you know, really into the, the everyday conversation and, and COVID hit that home more than anything with, you know, control what you can control. And, and that's hard as an athlete, um, hard as a coach. I mean, when we weren't practicing in the fall, was I great about controlling what I can control mentally? Like, not always, because um, I, I wanted to play, you know, I wanted the girls to be able to compete. But, you know, these things we try to weave, you know, into, you know, our everyday conversation, because it's not only going to help us on the field, but it's going to help, you know, it's going to give them tools for, for really the rest of their lives. I find it so interesting that you've kind of grouped the mental game into culture instead of separating it out, because truthfully, how can you in the zone and in the moment, if there's something that you are thinking about relative to your relationships or the culture of your program. And it's, I think it's so smart. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, when if going back to sort of like how you define things, I mean, culture is everything, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's literally, you know, every single day and every action and every, you know, sort of thought. So again, if your mental game is, you know, if you're negative or complaining or, you know, get, you know, whatever it is, like that is going to affect the culture a hundred percent. So yeah, it's kind of this all encompassing, you know, um, aspect in, in my opinion. And now when you do these um, culture meetings with your girls, is this with the whole team or is it captains or like sometimes different each time? No, we do it with the whole team. Um, and we actually involve our, our support staff as well when they can. Um, Cause I think it's, it's important for everyone on our staff to, to have the same, you know, mentality and, and focus on the, the same things. But, um, but we, yeah, we do it with everyone. And, and actually last year, you know, with how much we value it, we had two players who actually like we made the culture meeting around their class schedule where they could make it to our culture meeting, but they missed the entirety of practice. And one was our starting goalie at the time. And I was like, this culture meeting is more important than, than practice. I mean, we placed a lot, a lot of value on it um, because we know, again, you know, I truly believe it's going to help them outside of lacrosse, but I'm also a big believer if people are happy and the culture's good. We're going to play, you know, a heck of a lot better as well. Totally. That's awesome. I mean, I love that stuff ever since obviously Northwestern and just on our journey and how, much, you know, culture mattered to us there and stays with me. And obviously it stayed with you and one game. I don't know if you read it. I mean, one book, I don't know if you read it yet. Me and Jamie both read it. The inner game of tennis. Yes. Love it. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, about I just that. gave it. Yeah. Deemer's read it. Um, and he loved it. And our new assistant, who's a former player of, of ours, like I'm looking for other books and Deemer and I were both like inner game of tennis. <laughs> Great. It's like so it just captures everything. And I love that it's not like on lacrosse. So I think it like, you know what I mean? You can relate to it a little bit more. And, you know, our whole life is lacrosse coaching all the time. Yeah. That little branch out. Um, And that leads me to one last thing on the mental side. And then we'll actually get to lacrosse is a lot of um, my girls right now. I talk to them about visualizing themselves succeeding. Do you guys do that part as well in the fear? Like we used to do that at Northwestern, but like, I'm like, you are so focused on the mistake you made three games ago. Like, get it out of your mind. Mm -hmm. That's why you're still making these mistakes. Like, you have to think about yourself actually doing these plays well and succeed. Yeah, Yeah, we do. um, We do a little bit. We honestly probably need to do more. I mean, we do a visualization before before our games. Um, You know, we do a little meditation there. We've talked to the team. I know a lot use 
um, you know, some of the, the apps, you know, the meditation apps like the Calm app or Headspace and, and things like that. Um, so we've definitely, you know, done some exercises with it. Um, but, but I agree. I think it's, you know, it's definitely a tool, um, you know, that, that a lot of people need in this mental game. Like we said, it's, you know, it's a, a lifelong journey. And, and I think what's cool about it with, with us, I mean, you know, us as a coaching staff, like we're just as, you know, like involved in it and we're trying you know, learning and implementing these same tools that the girls are learning, you know, again, like we're not above that either there's certainly things I'm trying to work on as a as a coach and like I said control what I can control and things like that so it's cool that it's something you know when we have these conversations that it's it's all of us are you know in this together trying but but I agree you know I think visualizing and that positive you know self-talk one of my favorite kind of quotes that I heard is is sort of you know talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself because if, if you're listening, um, it, it could be, you know, that negative, like, oh, I just messed up, I did so bad, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, like, if you're talking to yourself, you're creating the narrative. And, and that's something that kind of always stuck with me. I love that. Love it. All right, switching gears, Lindsay, I would love to hear about the uh, evolution of your guys' patented zone defense, sort of how you came up with it and where it came from and how it's evolved. Uh, if you, if you don't mind, I would love to hear about that. I think listeners would too. Yeah. Um, well, it started with, with Devin Wills, you know, she was our defensive coach from the very beginning of, of the program. And, you know, I think she really, you know, looked at, you know, the players that we had, the athletes we had and, and decided, you know, that that, you know, was really going to be something that, you know, we could, could excel in. And I think, um, you know, each and every year from there, it just, you know, kind of tweaked and, and, um, you know, looking at, at things we need to focus on from there. But, um, you know, it's gone through some, you know, some iterations and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, it started with Dev and, and just, you know, continued as, you know, Katie Hirsch, um, you know, came along with us. And then, you know, obviously, as we go into this year, um, you know, we're, we're kind of toying with some things and trying to figure out what, you know, our best option is based on the teams we play and, and kind of what we see there. Obviously, losing so much time is, is sometimes difficult with, with anything. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been cool to kind of see it grow and develop and, and our players buy into it. Yeah, it's really cool, too, the way you guys tweak it and sometimes put a lot of pressure on, uh, particularly behind the net with double teams and sometimes play it a little bit softer. And I just wanted to sort of get your opinions uh, as to like kind of why you do that or when you might do that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when when earlier on, I guess, and I don't know the years, you know, a little bit. Yeah, there was a big kind of, all right, let's go out and, and get them behind, you know, the net and. And so I think, you know, as, as we all, you know, a lot of us know that a lot of teams want to attack from there. I think that's where you're most vulnerable uh, to, to feed, you know, from behind the net. And so, you know, the thought was, all right, let's go out, you know, and get them. And I think, you know, that, that worked, you know, for, for, a, for a while. And then, you know, I think as, as teams see it more and more, you know, and, and then um, players start, you know, or teams start kind of adjusting and maybe bringing, you know, three players down low, I think it's a lot harder when you go three low, because again, as, as we know, when there's a double team on the ball, you know, you're leaving someone open. So yeah. although it does create, you know, um, feeding people up and, and some opportunities there, it, you know, it also leaves you vulnerable. And so I think that's why, you know, we kind of um, think specifically, you know, recently we kind of went back to, 
all right, you know, maybe we're not going to go, you know, double team, but we are going to, you know, make sure we press out um, and the creases will kind of rotate through just because we don't want to, we don't want to create opportunities for other teams. You know, I think again, as we, you know, high pressure is great, but it also, again, can lead to some sort of layup goals if, you know, you're not ready. And those goals are sometimes really deflating where, you know, we want to make people work for them. So we kind of went back to, all right, let's, let's pressure but let's kind of one v one pressure instead of, um, you know, getting that double team on the ball. Yep. That's great. I was wondering that because of the lack of time, if you guys were going to stick to staying with the zone or maybe go back to man because of, yeah. you know, I don't know, you just have so much less time. And I feel like zone is such a, such a communication and a connection piece. You know what I mean? You're all working on that, like same timing. You really get each other, you know, yeah. each other's movements. So it's interesting. I was wondering yeah. if you had that thought process or what you were thinking. Well, we definitely, we definitely have. Um, we actually played man against Stony Brook um, for the first time in a long time, partially um, because I think Stony Brook, you know, has a great zone themselves. And, and, you know, I think they feed extremely, extremely well, which we know is, um, you know, against the zone, that's, you know, how you get a lot of your goals. And so, um, you know, I think our man right now is, you know, honestly better than it's been, you know, in a really long time, just with the athletes we have and, and the players we have. But I also think the way we teach the zone or the way we start in the fall, we start in a man, because at the end of the day, again, we, we talked earlier about just like foundation, you have to be able to play one v one defense. You have to be able to mark cutters. You know, you have to be able to see the ball, see your goal, just all of these basic, you know, defensive principles. And I think when you start, off just by teaching a zone you lose that because the help is there because you know if you if you're doing it with a rover which we do so someone who kind of marks all the cutters um you just kind of can um the details can can slide a little bit so we always start off in the fall playing a man teaching a man and then we implement the zone so so obviously like we said we didn't really have that this year so we kind of went all in on like both um and you know again i think our man you know looks really well so I think this year more than ever we'll be we'll have the ability to do both, which we've really never done in the past. Um, and I think that just allows us as coaches to really see who we're playing, what their strengths are, and what we think um, you know is going to be the best you know defense to to stop them. Totally, and that'll definitely help obviously in scouting to be able to be versatile and change it up. And that kind of leads me to my next one with it being complicated. And obviously, it's I mean defense in college is hard. It's a tiring. Um, position because of how fast paced it is in the shot clock do you guys use a lot of two-way midi still or do you go more of the a midi d midi you know because of how fast paced it is and tiring or what's your kind of approach in the midfield yeah I think it's a good question I think um you know it it sort of changes every year um you know based on you know the personnel we have um I think this year for us, we're actually probably deeper in the midfield than, than we have been in a little bit. Uh, granted, we have some young players in there, but um, I do love, honestly, having three straight, you know, two-way middies because I think so many teams do have an A midi, D midi, and I think you can take advantage um, in the transition, you know, when you have that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, obviously we want to have our, you know, best attackers, best defenders. And I think um, that's where, you know, right now our first couple games, we, you know, one of our lines is, is three straights. And then one of our lines, we use kind of two straights and an A to D midi. So it kind of just depends. We're still, again, we're just so so new at this. We're, start, you know, still trying to figure out, you know, exactly kind of how we want to manipulate the 
the midfield unit and, and kind of, you know, who we see really stepping up. So, um, you know, it's interesting because I think that, you know, it could shift a little bit, you know, for all teams, you know, as the season progresses, just because, you know, we don't have much intel to go off of, you know. <laughs> totally. And I also think, like, there's nothing like game shape. You can run all you want, you know, at home on your own or in the off season, but when you get to the games, it's just a totally different level of being in shape for those middies. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Even, you know, yeah. I mean, it's interesting now having, you know, two games, our first game, we only had one and, you know, the, I think everyone on the team was feeling it, you know, just cause again, that battle, when you get into the games, everything's faster, it's tougher, you're getting pushed around all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, having, having, you know, a deep, uh, roster is really helpful, you know, especially early on when we're still getting, getting our legs under us. Uh, awesome. I have one more question kind of on the midfield, um, area regarding the draw. Um, so what are you guys, how are you guys doing on the draw this year? You know, is it, you know, getting more and more competitive Is everyone using the draw stick what's going on in the draw in the NCAA world? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, yeah, so we actually got a transfer from JMU, Maddie McDaniel, who um, I think she's their all-time leader in, in draws, um, which was a huge, you know, a huge transfer for us. She's doing some awesome things. Um, so she was kind of our number one. She had 15 draw controls against SDSU, um, which was awesome. And then, you know, we struggled a little in the first half against Stony Brook, um, mainly because Allie Kennedy, I mean, is, is – really really strong on the circle um and so i think first half draws for us were like 11 three and then six half it was six to one so maddie you know stepped up in the in the second half uh you know we switched up a little in the first to get some different looks but um but yeah i think you know the majority of our girls we have kind of three in the rotation you know right now who are fighting for that spot and um they do use draw sticks um but, you know, I, I think the, a lot of people do, um, you know, I don't know that I see a ton who, who don't use a draw stick, you know, so just the stringing and, and trying to get, you know, um, that ball to sit in your pocket, I, you know, it's just hard with a normal, you know, normally strong stick because those refs are setting the ball high up, um, you know, in, in that stick where, you know, the stringing I think is, is important to really try to get a hold of, of it. Totally. I mean, it's just interesting how, you just see that draw stick everywhere now. So I was like, now once both people are using it, it comes down to the fundamentals again. So it kind of counters it out. Yeah. And not everyone's using the, that one. What is it that I forget what the name of it is. Yeah, Forgive me because are sponsored, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so not, you know, we, I think one of our girls maybe use it. I don't think all of them do. Um, they kind of, you know, go back and forth, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, some of the sticks, they match up kind of, you know, interestingly against one another. And so they're hard to kind of set up. So yeah, all the draw sticks do definitely make it interesting. That is for sure. And then you have the whole switching of the stick and the whole, you know, debacle <laughs> there, which is just such a nightmare in my opinion, but and I was like, oh, you guys can't even switch the sticks. Just get out there. This is taking too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's last, great. Last point on the draws before we move on to the next topic. Um, it's, it's causing games to last like two hours and 45 minutes. You know, it takes so long where there's so many goals being scored. I went to my, I watched my son's game. It was an hour and 50 Georgetown at Villanova. And then I watched the ASU game. It was like two hours and 45 minutes. And uh, do you see the game needing to be sped up? Now, I don't mean 
by not having a draw, but just, but actually just like making it happen a little bit quicker? Yeah, you know, I do. I think, again, the, the main, you know, in terms of visibility, it's like, what do we need for TV? You know, tell us what the parameters are. And, and obviously, I think keeping it within two hours is necessary, you know, for, for a TV spot. And so, you know, I do think, you know, obviously with the, the shot clock and then that adds more goals and then, you know, whether it's the, the checking of the sticks and then, you know, the team huddles. And I know refs are trying to kind of speed it up, but yeah, you know, it has, kind of made those games longer and I think we need to figure out again you know for me in my opinion it's what does TV need and whatever that is we need to make adjustments to our game you know so that we can fit into that great point all right let's switch gears again and let's talk a little offense um Lindsay you played in the 2014 World Cup right I played in 2009 and 2013 yeah 9 and 13 was it in Canada yeah Okay, so I was there, actually. My son was playing box across up there, so I just wanted to let you know. I was cheering on the U.S. I can't remember which game. Nice. Up in Whitby, Ontario, right? Yep, um, yep. Anyways, um, you know, it was fun to watch you play then, and it's been fun to watch women's lacrosse. You know, I'm a girl dad, so I get to watch a lot of girls lacrosse, and, and um, I'm really curious to hear your opinion on your, your personal evolution with offense as well as how you think the game has kind of evolved, resulting in just the technology, better, more good athletes, more training, and, and of course these zone defenses that are kind of causing a different player to emerge. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, it every year the game, you know, evolves and, and with defenses and just, you know, better, sort of better players, you know, just across the board, you know, you have to evolve you know, offensively as well. And I think your point at the end of, you know, zone defenses versus man, you know, I think back in the day, I mean, you know, it, it was easy enough to like create a big ISO and you score goal and, you know, you match your player to player and like, that's all she wrote kind of, you know, if, if you can win a matchup and, you know, see, you see that a little bit now, but, but I don't think, you know, again, at the next level, like that's not enough anymore. And I think um, to our earlier point about, really understanding spacing um, and, you know, just, you know, getting in the right passing lanes and making sure to move specifically and to go from, you know, instead of like this set play mentality, you know, especially with the shot clock where it's like, okay, everyone get in their spot and we can run this play, you know, and if it doesn't work, we can take, you know, a really long time and set up another play. Like it has to be more free flowing, you know, you kind of have to create these motions, where the ball just keeps spinning and, you know, it's not this kind of dead stop if, if the look isn't there. You know, sure, you'll have set plays within, you know, within your sets and, and within your motions, but I think that in and of itself is sort of a big difference where, you know, you need to create things where, you know, that ball is just continuing to move and, and you know, the players, like I would say, like they – I do think they need structure, you know, as much as we want to say like, Oh, let's just freelance and play. Like, I, I don't think even at the highest level um, athletes thrive in that um, they need structure, but they need decision-making within the structure. And, and that's what we, you know, try to do. Deemer has done, you know, a phenomenal job um, since he's come to us about, you know, spacing. I think he, you know, he's obviously super, super knowledgeable on the offensive side of the ball. And I think one um, you know, increasing our, our terminology on the offensive side, which, 
you know, really not only helps understanding, but I think more importantly, helps us play faster um, and get on the same page. So, um, you know, I just think, you know, um, spacing is more important than ever and, you know, structure, but decision-making within the structure, I think is, is really important. And then, you know, to your point about zone, you know, like that's where, which is why I think zones are successful against the man. Yes. Sometimes you can just win a matchup and a slides late and you get a goal. Whereas in the zone, like you kind of need all seven attackers to, to be, you know, threats at every single moment. If you have an attacker who's like, you know, at the 20, you know, um, nice and big and not a threat, like, you know, you're playing man down. So I think the zone, the zone defenses have really kind of pushed, you know, offensive coordinators and people who are trying to figure it out. Like you need all seven people to be on the same page and to be, you know, um, threats during every set. Can you tell me um, what, your basic offensive principles that would flow through all of your sets and all of your motions that you might put at the top of the list of importance things, you know, whether that be clearing space or spacing or whatever, do you mind just sort of chatting about those and giving us a little thought so that coaches that are listening to this might be able to sort of get their help, build their own checklist of the most important things about the offense? Yeah, I think I, I would say probably communication is number one um, and communication and understanding what the what the terms are. Um, and I think, again, you know, certainly when I was younger and even younger in a coaching, like everyone talks about communication on the defensive side. But I think, again, on the offensive side, it's just as important, even, you know, if not even more so. And I and I also think with communication on the offensive side, you can actually use it as a part of deception. Look, I don't care if the if the defense knows like I'm setting you know a pick and how we're going to communicate that on offense with our terms, but I don't care because then I can use that to to slip instead of instead of taking a pick. So like the communication again, it allows us to to play faster, but it also allows us to use our communication as deception, which I think is really important. But getting all attackers on the same page, I think is is essential. Um, so communication is absolutely up there. Um, I would say spacing is, is definitely, you know, top of the list as well. And, and I think, again, you know, we talk about um, and we see it a lot at times and, you know, we're not always perfect on it, but like those opportunities for defenses to, you know, the free double, we call it, where like someone's playing behind the ball, off ball, or, you know, they're so big where, again, you know, you can hedge and recover and, and they're not a threat to make you pay on that. So, Spacing is, is really, really important for us in terms of, you know, getting into fade spots or, you know, our spacing on the on the backside where, you know, we're keeping defenders busy and looking to, you know, flash on the backside, things like that. Um, and then, you know, I would say hit, hitting singles. You know, we talk about a lot. I think, you know, just letting the ball do the work, make the easy pass. And, you know, our offense is built in a way that, you know, it's not this – that play for one person you know we're hoping at the end of the, the season you know when we look at our point totals like it's going to be pretty you know relatively even because you know we're spinning the ball and whoever gets the opportunity at the end is getting the opportunity sure you know maybe some players are gonna you know take more shots or score more goals or whatever but um but I think in terms of the way we structure you know, one game, it could be this person, you know, having, you know, could be one of our attackers having, you know, five goals. The next game, it could be someone else. The next game, it could be someone else. And so I think just hitting those singles and, and trusting that the ball is going to do the work and then, you know, um, someone's going to have an opportunity at the end. I think that's 
I would say those three are, you know, definitely, definitely top of the list. Awesome. Thank you. Those are great. I would love to be a fly on the wall for your and Deemer's collaboration. Like I feel like you guys are just both <laughs> such offensive minded people. You probably have so many different thoughts and ideas and how to collaborate on what's best for your girls. Yes, definitely. And you know how, you know, obviously, you know, some people need, you know, to like really like X and O and diagram things. I think it's just fun with, you know, Deemer and I, where we're like, Hey, so like if we have this player at X and then we can hit elbow backside's doing a flash, you know, top center's doing the Leo cut, you know, like you can just have that verbiage and that language and just like manipulate the play without any, you know, and just like, okay, cool. Yeah. I think that'll work. And then just like walk away. You know what I mean? You can have those very quick, easy conversations and, and you're on the same page. This is really helpful. I love it. I also think, and as long as me and Jamie do this as well as being able to relate to other sports, um, like taking their footwork, their movement, the way people are cutting, the way people are dodging, like setting up a specific move is something that you guys do as well. And Jamie and I often talk about like, you know, an Allen Iverson move, a Kobe Bryant move. And I think you guys do that a ton at USC. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, we try to share, you know, obviously with, with social media now and just, you know, the, the content that's available is huge because, you know, I think more so than ever, like you can just send, you know, the girls one clip of like, we, we send, yeah, a bunch of football routes in terms of, um, you know, the, the receivers and, you know, their kind of footwork there in terms of dodging, you know, obviously the basketball and two mans and slips and, but it's so easy to just send one clip, you know, from Twitter or whatever and say, Hey, like attackers, check this out. This is what we're talking about when we say, you know, um, flip on the two man, you know, and it's just boom, it's a visual, you can see it, but yeah, we, we definitely look at other sports and, and see, you know, how we can, you know, whether it's just a visual, you know, representation for the girls or just how we can incorporate that, you know, in any way. But, you know, I think growing up only playing lacrosse, if, if that's, someone who does that like I just think you again like we get away with so much stuff when you're younger because the rules and stuff especially in women's lacrosse where like basketball like in order to protect you have shoulder shoulder and then the ball you know and it's furthest away and you know in hockey like you have to get in a passing lane because you're not you know putting the puck over someone's head so just all these other sports bring such valuable tools into lacrosse where, you know, a lot of young players that only play lacrosse, I think, you know, we just lose on those sort of simple, you know, keys to, that, that are going to help the game. Totally. I, um, I have a question. Um, you, you mentioned this earlier and this would go into probably one of my principles, but I wanted to ask you, cause you sort of mentioned it, where does the word deception and the concepts of deception fall in place with you guys. Um, and we'll talk about mostly on offense, even though I think it relates to, to everything. Yeah. I mean, I think it's huge. Um, you know, I, I definitely think it's important. I think it's, you know, at times a harder skill probably to, to teach. Um, you know, I think, I think in shooting, which is, you know, where I think the players sometimes understand it most, you know, if you're talking about like, look here, shoot there, or, you know, things like that. But, um, yeah, like it is something you have to teach, which, you know, um, I think sometimes you forget that as a coach or, you know, sometimes we don't put enough value in actually trying to find ways to teach that. I think for us, you know, some ways we do that is, um, you know, sort of in, in you know, a lot of man up type drills on the offense. So just really having to kind of, um, you know, obviously with stick work, but move your, you know, move the ball fast, but also, you um, 
be deceptive in, you know, making the defender try to, you know, bait them into making a pass. Then we hit the open person. We did it recently in a, in a kind of a standing stick work drill where, you know, you were still man up, but, but the, the feeders, if you will, the people on the outside, like really, they couldn't move. You couldn't use your speed to run away. So it was all just like head, shoulder, you know, stick fakes to get that, those passes around people. Um, but to, to your point of, you know, I think it's hugely important and very undertaught in the defense. Um, you know, and taught when we're talking about hedge and recover or things like that, where it's like, let's bait these attackers into killing their dodges. Like I'm going to take two steps and act like I'm sliding, but I'm not, I'm right back to my girl. And so, you know, again, that's something we're focusing on a ton actually like right now, um, because I think it plays more into the man, you know, into a man defense than maybe a zone. But yeah, I think it's just a skill that, you know, as coaches, we really have to focus on because I think it's, it's huge. It is so huge and it's so difficult because while you can present it and you can teach it and you can work on it, it's like it has to occur to the athlete in real time of looking something, <laughs> looking things off. Right. And it's, funny. yeah, it seem to be really good at it just naturally. And other kids are just so obvious, like the opposite of deception is obviousness. Right. And if, right. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like, why would you, almost I think it's more important than skill because like, if everybody knows what you're going to yeah. do, it doesn't really matter how skilled you are, but if you're setting that pick and you're like, yeah, yeah, pick here, 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 here. And then you slip it, you know, that's more important than just being able to have a great pick angle and setting a good pick, the whole yeah. idea of setting it up. Exactly. And I think it, it, remi- or it brings up also just like vision in general, which I also think is a hard skill to teach um, whether it's feeding, you know, for, for attackers, I think so often players, truly like look at if I'm a crease attacker I mean I you know my world was like the left crease but I'm not looking at my defender who's on me like I'm actually seeing her out of like my peripheral basically and seeing the rest of the field like through her you know so I see my attackers cutting and I can hit them on feeds or I see a slide coming and I you know I'm not getting in too deep on a dodge and I think we get you know a lot of players get really locked into the person that they're on um, you know, it would same thing defensively. Like I'm on a cutter, so I'm staring at her, but I'm not seeing someone come over the top and I'm going to have to switch because my teammates getting p- picked off. And I think again, like, f- you know, and, and that's really hard to like f- find a drill to do, you know, to do that. But, you know, we try our best in terms of, you know, read the slide drills or, you know, again, having a de- attacker have to choose who to, you know, one defender, two attackers on a feed and defender picks one. And, you know, we have to find the open things like that. But, that's another skill in terms of vision and deception, I think, you know, are, are that, you know, hugely important. Totally. Hand in hand. That's great. And I think one thing I want to ask about attack on that deception and um, you mentioned a bunch is like that off ball movement as well as getting those the spacing and communication off ball, which, you know, has to do with deception on that side as well. Is there anything you'd guys do at USC to help, just hone in how much those off ball people have to move where I feel like you say all the time in high school and for those high school coaches out here listening, like they still don't move. They still don't watch their defender. They still don't activate that defender to help their teammate. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's hard. Um, I would say a couple things, you know, that are important. I think is just one Again, I think so often people take themselves out of plays, you know, whether it's close to ball and like I said, kind of those free double opportunities behind the ball, but off ball, 
you should be pinched in, you know, very relatively close to the eight meter, you know, maybe it's 10, you know, somewhere around there. So your defender has to, you have to honor them, you know, as a defender. Whereas like if someone's at the 12 or the 15, like I can be looking to slide, I can be looking ahead, I can be looking to go. And I think it's important to pinch in on the backside so that those defenders have to be aware of you. And, and again, if they do slide, it's a quick cut. You're not cutting from 10 yards away where the defender can recover. You're, you know, making them pay on that. Um, and then for us, I would say just within our sets, um, you know, we have multiple different options of, of how we're cutting on the backside. So hopefully we'll get to a point of like, if we have, if we're in a pairs look, let's say it's like we have two people on the backside, you know, one of them is cutting, you know, maybe right now we'll tell them we're in, you know, whichever, like, and, and kind of designate who the cutter is. Um, but hopefully it can get to a point where it's like, it's you or me, one of us is going, one of us is holding for, for a forward, you know? So I think it's a, it's a mix of both, but um, I, I do think you have to be specific about how they should move because I think a lot of people used to say like, be active on the backside, like move, cut, like that's not enough for them. I don't think, you know, even at the highest level, honestly, like I think it has to be a little, a little more specific about like this, you know, and again, within, they can still make decisions, not like robotic, you know, um, in terms of what they have to do, but just saying move on the backside, like uh, we've certainly tried that in the past and like, that's not enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's just important to, you know, to really be kind of, you know, give them multiple specific different options and then they can kind of choose from there. Yeah. I like that. And then you can kind of get innovative. But I think girls in general are rule followers. Like they want to be told yes. what to do and they will cut constantly. Probably if you told them to cut, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, now find yeah. the balance of like, <laughs> figuring it out, but that's, that's a good idea of just giving them a little bit more context on the off ball movement. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie, any more questions on? I got nothing more on offense. You want to kick us off on the f- final topic? Yeah. Lynn. So we just want to kind of end and we do this with all of our coaches, just a little advice you have for those um, trying to get recruited, you know, starting the recruiting process, you know, going through this, weird time of recruiting do you have any advice for those you know going through the process or about to start it in the recruiting world yes absolutely um you know i I think a couple things come to mind i would say one um no expectations um and, and i think that no expectations is a skill for for all of us you know for our for certainly my players it's something again, we hone in on. Um, but I think just so, so many times, you know, you go in with like, you know, all these expectations, like I'm going to get all these emails on September 1st, or I'm going to talk to this school. What if they don't call like, just again, like take it for what it is. Um, and try not to kind of build this unrealistic, you know, sort of thing in your head about like what's to come, like just take it sort of day by day. And, you know, again, if, if, people put in the work, like it'll, it'll work itself out, you know? And I think so often we, we kind of spin and, and get really, you know, um, upset or, or jammed mentally about things we can't control. Like they can't control who's going to contact them. So like, we just got to take it for what it is and then, you know, move forward, you know, day by day. So I'd say no expectations. Um, I would also say, and you know, this is easier said than done probably, but, um, but also like take it at your own pace and don't get whether it's, you know, pressure from coaches or pressure because of your teammates, you know, that, that maybe speed along in the process. But, you know, what frustrates me um, 
in terms of the pressure piece and people making decisions because of that. Um, and I, I just think it's a recipe for disaster. I think, you know, at, at the next level, you know, you're, it's going to be hard. And even if you commit to your dream school and, you know, date, whatever it is, like your, you know, your dream school, it is going to be brutal at moments and you're going to question it potentially at moments. And it's going to be a, a grind and really freaking hard. And I think, for people who, you know, commit, whether it's because of pressure or commit very fast without truly looking at all their options, when those moments come, you question if this was the right choice. And I never want someone to question whether it was the right choice, you know, and I think we urge our, you know, our recruits, like, I want you to go to BC and UNC and Duke and Stanford and all these great schools, take the visits, because like, if you choose USC after looking at all those, like, I know in those moments, you're still going to be all about us, you know, but I think again, like just taking their time and being really sure about a decision and trying not to get pressured into making a decision, whether it's because of a coach or, you know, again, your teammates, like just take it at their own pace. Um, And, and I think the last thing is just like really actually understand what you want, you know, whether it's in a school location you know, the things you can do around that school or in a program, like, do you want to be, you know, a a top player at that program? Because if that's the case, maybe you have to adjust your list a little bit. Or if you want to just be at a top program and, you know, wait your time, like that's a different thing. But like, what do you truly want? I think I, I always are like, am a little confused when I see players list, you know, and they're like, I'm interested in these, you know, six schools and they like have nothing in common. (laughs) And it's just, that's always interesting to me because it's kind of like, well, what are you interested in? Like, do you want a big school? Do you want a small school? Do you want somewhere far away or do you not? You know, it's, I think just like really figure out what, you know, what you want in a school so that, you know, again, like the lacrosse piece, but also the school piece. So, you know, you'll be truly happy. That's all really good advice. I love it. I mean, I try and do that with all of my kids individually, just kind of sit them down and just be like, all right, let's figure out if you want a city or not. Like nothing to do with lacrosse. Like, you know what I mean? Like let's figure out where you want to be and what you like. And especially for those kids that know what they want to be when they grow up, you know, if they know their major, that's huge. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, it's the biggest decision of your life kind of for the next four years. So it's, you can't rush it. And I always tell them, yeah, coaches aren't going to love you this much the whole time you're there so right. advantage of it. <laughs> right. Well, and I just think it's, again, like I, you know, I think probably earlier on in my career, maybe I was different, but now, like, even when people tell us, no, I'm like, okay, like, if you don't want to be here, you know, like I, again, like I wish you the best luck, but we don't want you here. If you don't want to be here, I'm not trying to beg someone to come to USC. You know, I'm not trying to like, you know, pull the wool over anyone's eyes or get them to commit before they see these other great, like, I want people who want it, you know, after right. seeing all the, the other, you know, great schools. There's a, there's so many great schools out there. Like I'm never going to talk bad about anyone or, you know, again, pressure someone into committing. So I've never done because I just don't, I don't think that's best in the long run. Totally. Totally. will help you out later on with their, I guess, you know, their longevity there as well. Mm-hmm. I love James, it. Yeah. Um, would you mind touching on how you look at recruiting the positions within positions? So like not every attacker plays the same position, nor does every midfielder or defender. Can you just talk a little bit about how you kind of 
classify the positions within positions if you do it all and then sort of what what you're sort of looking for out of players from both the the um the athletic side as well as the skill and the iq yeah absolutely i think it's we really try to do that um in terms of really trying to find you know the best team you know we're not going to recruit you know if i'm looking for four attackers in a class like all four righty attackers who play high on the right elbow. Like that's not going to set us up really for, you know, success, I don't think. And so, you know, we really truly look at the players that are currently on our roster, you know, and where we see them kind of fitting um, into the puzzle. And then, you know, as we recruit, like that's, we are looking at that. And so for attackers, you know, we look at, you know, kind of who plays, you know, maybe a little, you know, a little higher, who plays around the crease. Um, you know, and, and making sure that we don't, um, again, get, get too many of the same kind of player. We want people to complement one another. Um, and then, you know, in the midfield, I think, you know, obviously middies will generally play more up top. I think we look at making sure we have some balance, you know, both in the midfield on the, and on the attack in terms of, you know, lefties and righties and people we sent, you know, see playing on both sides, um, you know, defensively. I think it's more about, you know, obviously athleticism and, and being able to, you know, play people 1v1. But I think, honestly, more so uh, on the defensive side, you know, I'm looking for off ball on the defensive side, you know, in terms of that next level. Because I think, again, like there's a lot of people that can shut people down 1v1. Maybe not a lot, but there's some. And what I find people struggle with is the most is off ball. You know, so so that's where, you know, that second level of, of, of a defender and middies, you know, those two-way middies, like, we need to see their awareness off ball. Like, are they communicating? Can they, you know, can they actually see the ball? Do they see a slide? You know, those kind of things. Um, and then, you know, a lot of uh, players, you know, that, that we end up committing, you know, do end up coming to um, one of our camps or clinics or things like that. And, and those are the moments where, you know, we can really see, you know, their IQ, like we can put a drill in, you know, cause our, our camps are very, you know, the one, even the one at USC are very like drill focused. Like we really don't even scrimmage that much. Um, because again, like I know scrimmaging is fun, but like, that's not really going to make, you know, people better all the time. Like we want to put them in these situations where they're making decisions, where they're learning skill concepts, where they're learning the spacing talking concepts that we're talking about. Um, and sure, we'll let them play too. But, you know, again, I think um, we want to provide value. You know, we want people to be like, I got better, you know, and, and those opportunities provide us with our recruits, like to actually coach them up and, and see how they respond. And so I think those are awesome opportunities. But it's funny that you asked that because even in the past, like I've, heard I don't know that anyone said it to me but I've heard um where it's like why are they taking that kid you know like this kid's better it's like well we're trying to create a team you know that that all complement one another you know and and maybe you think she's a better dodger but like we think this kid is gonna you know help us more you know in terms of the the pieces of puzzle all fit together and so I think again we we definitely value that you know in recruiting um quite a bit Totally. And every single recruit is like a package of traits and you just got to try to be the best package that you can be. And someone's going to need that package if you keep working at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's so funny too, because like with recruiting, Colin, I don't know how you feel about it, but being in the position at USC, like, I mean, recruiting has just changed 
so much, right? Like you said, like coaches, you know, it's like you're the next best thing and all just all of these opportunities that these kids get and they deserve them. But it's so interesting where like I was recruited at Northwestern, Holy Cross and the College of New Jersey, which is D3. I would have played um, soccer and basketball. But like I picked up lacrosse really late. So like I didn't get, you know, recruited. And like I wasn't this player who was like on a full ride or anything like that. And it's just the the evolution if you will of the way the recruiting is and the way people you know just people you know expecting probably quite a bit on a scholarship wise and and those things like it's just so interesting to me it's so interesting because you know again looking at my career and I did I did well and played on the U.S. team and I was like oh you probably were recruited all these top schools I'm like uh no like oh you probably got you know all this you know scholarship um no you know like it's just it's so it's very, very interesting to, to kind of be aware of the evolution of the recruiting process. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm going to steal your slogan, no expectations, because that might be the title of my recruiting webinar for my, my club. <laughs> this year. But that's it. Like you can't set an expectation because then you're going to be disappointed. If you don't set an expectation right. and you just stick to your path and your path is very specific, it's only yours and you don't need to go to 800,000 camps. And I think it's really important to go to the camp of the school that you're interested in so that you can get that two-way street. They can work with you. You can work with them. You might feel a connection. You might not. And then mm-hmm. it's easier that way. Yeah. Really, well, this yeah, is super, super helpful. Um, great information. Loved having you on here. Um, wealth of knowledge. Amazing coach. Huge game tomorrow for all of our listeners to check out against BC. Um, yeah. Huge absolutely. game because game call we're working on our our mental game <laughs> oh, i love it the culture the culture game you're definitely winning the culture yeah. battle right now <laughs> big game because it's the next game no we're pumped about the opportunity that's so. awesome hey lindsey thank you so much for coming on i'm so glad we're playing lacrosse again and i uh, can't wait to see you guys is your game on tv tomorrow yeah it is uh on yes either through acc or espn espn one of the one of the Networks is picking it up, so it's it's good. Awesome. I'll be watching. Sweet, awesome. Thanks, Thank you guys so much. <laughs> See ya. Good luck. Thanks. Bye.